Hello and welcome to Celts Down Under. Bit of a change of habit for me. You might not know my face. Uh, my name's Laura Bradburn. You might have seen me on Axom and on the cross coverage with Celtic Down Under. But I'm joining the guys to do a World Cup preview. Um, we're going to preview all of the 32 teams uh, in the run-up to the Qatar World Cup 2022 taking place uh, from November. I'm joined by Liam. How are you doing, Liam? Ah, good. Um, excited to embark on this wee journey with you and probably learn about quite a few teams and players that I otherwise wouldn't take an interest in. So, yeah, uh, it's a, it's it's been interesting, especially with this first group, which we'll get into. Um, you know, hmm. one footballing behemoth, if you want to put it that way. Although some might argue in World Cup terms, not so. Um, followed by three teams who, you know, apart from the odd player here and there, most of us, you know, don't have a lot of knowledge of. So hopefully what we're going to do with these shows is is provide a bit of knowledge so that you can all look very smart in front of your friends when you're watching, I don't know, the opener, Qatar versus uh, Ecuador. And you can say he's a player mm. to watch. He's a player to watch. Of course, <laughs> it could all come down round our ears, but we will get started anyway. Um, mm. The first group we are looking at is obviously Group A. That contains Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal and the Netherlands. Uh, and the first team we're going to look at is the Qatar national team who are obviously hosting the tournament. Now, Liam, I was doing a bit of um, research into this uh, and I have to say, I thought to myself very cynically, you know, Qatar have bought their way to this World Cup and that's the only way their national team's qualified and, and all that kind of thing. Looking mm. at some of their recent performances on their continent, uh, it's it's not quite as simple as that, is it? No. Um, I mean, they, they, um, they won the 2019 Asian Cup, uh, much to my disappointment because Japan were the heavy favourites for that tournament and I was actively following them throughout. Um but, yeah, they are, as far as the Asian football context goes, if the World Cup were not being held in Qatar, I think this current team would probably have qualified anyway. Um, yeah. They're, they're definitely better than Saudi Arabia, and I think they could, you know, on a good day, they could probably beat Iran as well. So, And that's two other Asian teams that qualified. So, yeah. It is an interesting one, because I think you can... Um you can kind of feel a little bit like uh, that you, like I said, the, the qualifying team the, the or, or the, the hosting team, I should say, very often end up being a team that might not have otherwise qualified. But like you say, there are suggestions from their recent history that that might have happened anyway. I mean, looking at some of the results they've had, um, y you could argue that, that, that they would have been here had it been anywhere else what's the most sort of impressive things for you that you've seen from their run well i mean obviously the most the you know trophies in the cabinet is what says it also the 2019 asian cup which is you know their equivalent of winning the euros in terms of the number of teams they have to beat to get there um so that is a very impressive achievement especially when you think that this is a country with a population of about two and a half million mm -hmm. but of that two and a half million, and I was reading this today, only 300,000 of them are actually citizens and therefore eligible to play for the national team. 
Yeah. So if you assume that, you know, like an average country, half of those people are women, um, then, you know, you're looking at a pool of 150,000 people yeah. to put together a, a national team that has defeated a continent of billions. I mean, that is... Those numbers... Are, I mean, the last time a, a, a country anywhere near that size won the World Cup was Uruguay, and they're still about four or five times bigger than, than Qatar, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they... they... These uh, there's a whole section uh, when you look into the to the national team of what they call naturalized players. Some of their most star players are uh, players who you say, you know, I think their star striker is a is a uh, an immigrant from. Um, uh, I can't. I think remember. it was Sudan, if I remember. Sudan, yeah, an immigrant yeah. from Sudan. But they, they've they've come mm. together and they've made this team that have beat over the last few years the likes of they've beat. Uh, Egypt a couple of times. They've they've uh, friendlies right enough, but they've beat Ghana. Yeah. They've beat um, Udinese. Interestingly, they've done. Uh, they've beat <laughs> Bulgaria. So, you know, there's yeah. there's suggestions there that sort of more established teams have found them difficult to beat, and and they might not be the pushovers that we thought they were. Um, but but we'll we'll look ahead. Um, at you know, not the most glamorous opening fixture between Qatar and Ecuador, but needless to say, uh, we, we'll be watching that one. Who yeah. who are the who are the players for you in the Qatar team that 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 might be worth a watch, might be worth a pick out for you? Well, hold on while I reach for the iPad here just to make sure I pronounce these correctly. <laughs> um, so the current squad, um, yes. the the player that we mentioned a moment ago, this um. This not this boy from Sudan. Um, what's his name again? Let me just check. Oh God, this is terrible. I should have done this beforehand. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, hang on. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, Almoz Ali. There he is. Right. Eighty-three Almoz caps Ali. and forty goals. Yes. Yes. Now the interesting thing about this is, like you say, there's been a lot of criticism of Qatar, people saying, like, oh, they just buy players in from other countries and nationalise them. Mm -hmm. But uh, this boy, Ali, in particular, has lived in Qatar since he was about two or three years old. Yeah. Um, his family moved there for non-footballing reasons. And at the end of the day, you know, if Scotland are going to play guys who were born in England but have, you know, but have lived in Scotland since they were kids, which I think they should then there's no reason why Qatar shouldn't do the same thing. Yeah, um, I, I think so as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the nature of the country as well. It is, it is a country, having looked into a little bit of the wider aspects of it, that, like you say, is so full of immigrants. So many of their, their previous coaches and players have been from other countries. It's just the way of that country. You can't expect them to fulfill um obligations in terms of international football using only um homegrown players when the when the pool as you say is so small no but the thing is with qatar particularly now they've obviously got a hell of a lot of money from their their national government that they're throwing at this mm -hmm. but they they set up something called the aspire academy i believe it was about maybe 10 15 years ago and that academy uh recruits 3500 players a year um, they have scouted three and a half million players in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And basically boys go in there at the age of uh, 10 or 12 and they get their full education there. It basically is like a sort of a football school going into university for them. Yeah. And 
what has typically happened is the players that have made the grade and got into the national team from that, they're not necessarily born in Qatar, but their their footballing life is entirely spent in Qatar. So, you know, I mean, Japan, right? J- when Japan got to their first World Cup in 98, they had guys like Wagner Lopez, who was born in Brazil, um, yeah. playing for them. You know, it's... We, one of the one of the best uh, Japanese players of recent times was a, a defender called Marcus Tulio Tanaka, who was a Brazilian Japanese. Again, um, this whole nationalisation thing—I don't look. There's a lot of issues you could have with Qatar politically and whatever, which I'm not going to go into. But um, you know, that doesn't mean I endorse any of it. Let's just make that clear, right? I'm not. You know, I do not endorse their their homophobia or their their treatment of the workers or whatever. But the footballers have nothing to do with that, right? And going the other way, if you look at recent teams that have achieved big things at World Cups and international tournaments, France, Belgium, right? Two classic examples. Um, as one of my English friends very succinctly put it, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you go over your fear of black people. Mm. <laughs> you know, well, when you think like... about the amount of players that are from other countries that have nationalised into those countries and done really well for them, you know? I, I think I think it's an interesting... Uh, I hesitate to use the word experiment, but I think it's going to um, hopefully open a lot of people's eyes to what you can achieve in international football if you remove some of the restrictions of... I, I'm a firm believer in that representing a country doesn't necessarily mean you have to be born in that country it's a country who you want to represent and let's face it there are many countries who have players who will more passionately represent them than than players who were born in that country so um i i see no particular issue with it as long as the means by which they're getting those players are are uh, not nefarious in any way and, and like you say there's a lot to criticize qatar for um we could do an entire show on that but that's not what we're here for but like you say, the, the, the academy and the way that they're doing things footballing-wise um, can't really be criticised. They have, like you say, they could have thrown money at this and it could have been a big marketing experiment, but they knew they wanted to uh, represent themselves well at their own World Cup and throwing money at the situation was not going to make that happen. So they do appear to have tried to do things the right way, if there's a way to put that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, and I really... I will be very interested to see how this first game goes because they are playing, I think, the the, the best chance of, of getting off to a win is their opening game against Ecuador because the other two teams are the teams you would expect to qualify from that group. Absolutely, and we will get into those teams. You've got Netherlands who are regular... Um, uh, regular... Uh, inhabitants of one of the semi-final spots when they do qualify for the tournament um, but they'll be interesting to talk about in Senegal, everybody knows that 2002 run that they had at the at the World Cup um, and they have some players who, who we all know uh, well so like you say, Ecuador is probably Qatar's best chance of, a, of getting three points and as we all know as well when it's only one game against three other teams you know, three points goes a massive way to maybe help and secure uh, qualification. Um, speaking of which, um, bearing in mind they do have Senegal and Netherlands in that group, 
what do you think Qatar's chances are of qualifying from the group and making the the last 16 at their own home tournament? Well, I think they have a chance of getting second in the group. Um, I don't see anybody coming close to, to the Netherlands in that group. I think they're a cut above. But Senegal are, well, like a very, like, like, like the sort of archetypal African team that you usually see at a World Cup, like Cameroon, Nigeria, etc., Lots of flair, lots of very exciting, dynamic players, but also plenty of defensive and goalkeeping frailties that can be exploited. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, that's one that, that Qatar could look to possibly snatch a draw or maybe even a win. Because um, what you also have to remember is that in Qatar, now they've made, a, they've made a big deal about the air conditioning in the stadiums and whatever, but... Every one of the probable squad for the Qatar team is based in the Qatari league at the moment. Yeah. So they play in that climate day in, day out. They live in that climate every day. There is no need for adjustment. Um, every other country that's going there is going to have to make a type of adjustment. And this is a country that only gets 80 millimetres of rain a year on average. Mm-hmm. It's going to be dry and hot, even in even in November, December, it's going to be completely different from what most other countries' players would be used to. Even the hotter countries like Brazil and whatever, they still have pretty high rainfall rates. So mm-hmm. it's it's there's going to be absolutely that really dry heat that could favour Qatar and could also, you know, perhaps favour other sort of a desert nations you know like saudi arabia for example but yeah um, um it'll be interesting to see how that affects teams because like you say it, it's and especially as well with the time of year that it's happening even though they are having it in in november and december to try and help minimize uh that that kind of temperature difference uh, it still keeps the temperature difference from teams traveling from you know northern europe or, or the likes um mm-hmm it keeps that temperature difference extreme and you could see, you know, big nations, uh, Spain, Germany, England, struggle with that heat because it it won't be quite as, as uh, oppressive in their in their current playing nations as it is in Qatar. So, you know, they've got to take advantage of everything that they can at this World Cup and, and, and see how far they get because it'll be an unforgettable World Cup simply because of the way it's come about and and the time of year that it's at if if Qatar can then make a good name of themselves at the tournament then then that'll be all the better for them i um i think there's a lot of parallels between this qatari team and the south korea team of 2002 yeah now um i'm not saying for a second they're going to get to the semi-finals like like korea did i don't i don't think that'll happen but i could see them getting beyond the the groups yeah. Um, now, Korea in 2002, now admittedly, they did have quite a bit of help from the referees with some very questionable decisions, but I do think that was a bit unfair to them because that was a team that worked really hard and deserved yeah. what they got. Um, but they had a very similar setup to Qatar. Their players were, barring two or three European stars, they were mostly domestic players. Um, they actually, I think, cancelled the last three months of the Korean League that year and Mm -hmm. had the team basically training like a club team for the months leading up to the tournament. And from what I hear, Qatar, although the the, the Qatari season is ongoing, the players are checking into this 
the the Aspire Centre, as it's called, every week and having their all their get-togethers and bonding. And it is like a club team. Um, and their coach, um, a Spanish fellow whose name escapes me at the moment, but he um, he has actually been with the Qatari FA since the mid-2000s mm-hmm. and worked his way up through the ranks and became the the head coach shortly before they won the 2019 um, uh, Asian Asian Cup. Yeah. And that is clearly a... You know, it, it, again, it speaks to this thing of Qatar have been playing the long game. They've been building up to this for about fifteen years, and this is now the payoff. And, well, this uh, is this yeah. is the kind of yeah. just to put into context what you've said there. This is the kind of person that Qatar are um are are targeting. So, the manager for Qatar is Felix Sanchez, a forty-six year old native of Barcelona, mm. who yeah. um was a Barcelona uh, youth coach from nineteen ninety six to two thousand and six. So mm-hmm. if you're going to if you're going to um, pick somebody to come in, he, he then coached at the the Aspire Academy from 2006 to 2013, working his way up the Qatar youth teams, as you said. But if you're going to pick a youth coach uh, to help deliver success, what better place to look than La Masia? So I think that I think, like you say, it's it's easy to be cynical, but when you look into what Qatar have done. They haven't just gone at this hammer and tongs with with all the money in the world. They are they are trying to do things in an educated and and considered manner. And I think they might be a surprise package for some people. Yeah, I would just say that to people when you watch the Qatar Qatari team, try and keep an open mind because the the social political issues around Qatar the extreme amounts of money that are flying about in such a small country, that has nothing to do with the the, the 11 players on that pitch. And those are guys who have worked, like I say, they've all been in Qatar for most of their lives. Even the foreign, even the foreign born players have spent their pretty much their entire careers in Qatar. So they have dedicated a hell of a lot of time to that country. And whether they are considered Qataris or not, I think they've earned the right to call themselves Qataris. And I really hope that they put on a good show for the for the sake of their, their own pride and the pride of their, their country. Listen, I don't need to say it to anybody here. Um if if <laughs> if my ability to represent my country at football was based on my opinion of the ruling party of the country in which I reside, <laughs> then I don't think I would get very many caps, but we'll uh, We'll leave it there, shall we? <laughs> I, I, I think I would be I would be deported and summarily executed. But let's not go there. <laughs> let's hope nobody from Japan's watching this. Let's put no. it that way. <laughs> um, Liam, uh, I think we're I think we've covered uh, Qatar as much as we can, given our mm. uh, limited uh, knowledge of them as an international force. Uh, before we go. What, what do you think their chances are of getting out the group? And if they can, where do you think they can get in terms of the last 16 of the of the tournament? Right. I think I think they could get second place in the group, but that's going to give them a very tricky time round two. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to stick my neck out and say that they'll make the quarterfinals. I think they'll Excellent. make the quarterfinals. Well, we we shall we shall see uh, at whose whose expense you think they'll get that second place when we cover the the rest of the teams in the group. But 
until mm. then, uh, thank you very much, everybody, for watching. We hope you've got a little bit of knowledge of Qatar that you didn't have before. Uh, thank you, Liam, for joining me. And we will see you all uh, very soon for the next team review at the Qatar World Cup on Celtic Down Under. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.